You're listening to Quintessentially Mental, a podcast hosted by Sure Eyes. Please note that this host is not a mental health practitioner or professional, and this podcast is not meant for treatment of any mental illness. Hey y'all, you're listening to Quintessentially Mental, the podcast, and I'm your host, Sure Eyes. Today's episode is quite a tricky one, you know, it's it's about addiction um, and how addiction is actually a mental health disorder. I don't think, you know, people realize this. Um, the title of this podcast is called Sipnonjin and Juice, <laughs> an ode or an adage to the old um, rap song, Snoop song. But I think, you know, it's, it's apt given the culture we live in where so many things have been normalized you know where things like overeating or over drinking or um, over sexing or you know all these different things where you know as long as it's legal we're almost okay with it you know and it's almost like we view addiction as only something that pertains to illegal substances so today my my guest who will be joining me um, is a very good friend of mine he goes by David P Um, we've been friends probably since about 2017 I think Um, not realizing that we actually have mutual friends in our past lives um we just didn't realize it when i was living in cape town i was actually friends with people who are quite close to him um you know david and i've partied together we've done a lot of you know drinking together a lot of champagne and i don't think that we or i ever realized he had you know, addiction problems until he opened up to me about it later on in our friendship. And, you know, I he's been in and out of rehab, he's been in and out of NA, which is Narcotics Anonymous, he's been in and out of AA, um, and, you know, it's, it's not something that I've judged him for, it's not something that has determined the course of our friendship. I think, you know, obviously I, I've been impacted by the the choices he's made where either I hadn't you know maybe the only time I got to see him was when he was in rehab or otherwise he you know he wouldn't speak to me because he didn't want to lie to me so hopefully we'll be able to you know have a bit of a in-depth conversation about addiction and how it's actually a mental illness um something I, you know, didn't realize. So stay tuned and we'll be we'll be chatting to David soon. Baobalb.org is a podcasting platform and a medium for storytelling. This podcast is also available on all the major podcasting apps, including Apple and Google Podcasts. Podcast your life with Baobalb.org. Welcome back to Quintessentially Mental. I'm joined by one of my very good friends, David P. Or David Astronomy. <laughs> he, before we started recording, he 
he uh, made it very clear that, you know, we, it's part of, you know, just an AA protocol that we never refer to people part of that community as their full name and surname, just to protect, obviously, their anonymity. Um, yeah. Hey, David, how are you doing? I'm very good today. Thank you, Sharice. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm tired, like we've been saying, just default settings of mom of a three-month-old. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That and um and and having mental illness, I think. <laughs> mental wellness. <laughs> right. Mental uh, wellness <laughs> challenges. <laughs> <laughs> you know, am I allowed to swear? Yeah, I mean it's a you're it's a free country. I'm sure you can. You know, fuck this like mental wellness. Like I get it that we're trying to turn the you know the frame it differently in terms of mental wellness and stuff but like there's not enough fucking meditation in the world that's going to rescue you from clinical depression in my humble opinion as I'm not a doctor <laughs> I think I think it's 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 day dependent right so there are days when I'm just like oh my gosh I totally have a handle on this this is amazing. I'm making so much progress. And then there are other days where I'm just like, why am I even in therapy? Like, what is the point of this? Yeah. So, no, true, true. I mean, it is a daily thing. And I think there's also daily practices that help, right? Like, so my my sponsor um, in in the fellowship, um, he uh, he's, he's got me doing a daily gratitude list. And like, I remember... <laughs> When I was younger, my grandmother always used to give us for Christmas these these little notepads, and these were meant to be gratitude diaries. And I would, I just completely, I was like, "This is bullshit." I says, "You know, this doesn't help at all." No, no, no. Now I do a daily gratitude list, and um, ten things I'm grateful to to be or to have or to feel and then five things i'm grateful not to so you know i'm grateful not to be using drugs today i'm grateful not to be stealing i'm grateful not to be lying to my friends and family yeah and it does actually set the day up better so yeah you i think i think i, I agree with you it does it is day dependent okay so um, can we maybe say that maybe not fuck meditation in totality <laughs> yes Quite right. Well, quite right. It's a, it's a, a, um, it's a package deal. <laughs> There's a whole lot of different things. Cool. So I think just to you know, re, you know, catch up on what what the intro to this episode is. We we're we're kind of looking at addiction and mental health. Um, and like I was saying to David, you know, I don't have as I do with these episodes. You know, I don't have a set interview or set questions or you know I don't have a plan in my head um, or on paper it's really just about having quite a natural organic kind of real conversation um, so I, I guess one of the things that people don't seem to understand or people without addiction or people who let me not speak for other people one thing I had to come to understand was addiction is a mental health illness I didn't know that yeah, so it's it's actually recognised um, both by the WHO and in the uh, the DSM five um, as a as a mental illness. Um, it's called a substance abuse disorder. Um, there are interesting though interrelationships, right? So between the D according to the DSM five, 
um, you cannot be diagnosed with, uh, say, bipolar 2, which, which is what I am, um, unless you've been free of substances for um, 12 months. Because the the drugs do so much to the brain, and uh, that that it can um, it give you these symptoms that look like it, yeah, that look like depression, that look like bipolar, and so on, which which I find quite quite interesting. But yeah, no, as you said, it's a it's a recognised um, mental illness according to the WHO and and the DSM five. So I mean, that's quite interesting that you know you say that. You can only really be diagnosed with an official kind of mental health disorder that isn't substance related once you've been clean for twelve months. Have you? Yeah. So, so currently, I mean, you know, how how are you dealing with being clean? You know, you mentioned earlier that one of the things you you're grateful not to be doing is you're you're grateful not to be using drugs today. So, like, how are you finding the day to day of staying clean that eventually builds up to a week, a month, you know, six months, a year, etc. You know, how are you finding that journey? Yeah, no, well, that's tough. <laughs> and I, I want to take a, I want to take a little step back though, and just just talk about personally why I I think I started um, using, then abusing, and then becoming dependent on drugs. Yeah, I think um, it, and I, it's great that you start there because. One of the things I meant to ask you before I went off on this tangent was how did you even, because, I mean, drugs in our culture now is such a casual thing, right? Like you go to a party and people are taking lines of coke or they're popping ecstasy or taking MDMA. It's it's almost, you know, normalized as quite a recreational thing, you know, and like at what point do you go, oh, this is actually a problem? Yeah. Um, So... Like it's interesting that you say that it's it's recreational and normalized. I think drugs have always been used recreationally, and for eighty percent of the population, they can smoke a joint. They can they can smoke a joint every day for a couple of years um, and call themselves stoners or whatever. They can take uh, MDMA on the weekends. They can do lines of coke. Um, they probably won't go near harder stuff. But that's because they are able to use it recreationally. Um, in the the big book of Alcoholic, Alcoholics Anonymous, they they talk about what they call moderate drinkers, and they call people that are heavy drinkers. And those are people who can stop. They can stop after one drink, or ten drinks, or if there's a health scare, or their partner is not happy, or work is suffering, or whatever. They're able to just say, you know what. I'm not having another drink. I'm not having another joint. I'm not having another line. And they're able to stop. In my case, and with the case of addicts, I'm completely powerless over that. I have no, I know that I should stop. I know that my life is fucking up. Um, my friends and family are deserting me. I'm pretty much bankrupt. I'm, I mean, you know, I've slept in the park a couple of nights, right? And I still don't stop using drugs. Because I'm not dependent. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the difference between addicts and, and, and non-addicts. Um, so, yeah, drugs are normal. I like the yeah, recreational use of drugs is, is normalized, and it's fine. And I think that's fine for, for most people. There's some of us, though, and 
you will figure it out. Um, you'll come to that place where you know that you can no longer stop. And then that's when you're an addict. But this is this is another thing, right? Is you, as people, like you don't know what's going to happen to your body, right? So you don't know when you do take one drink or 10 or one line or a gram or, you know, like you don't know what the reaction is going to be with your body and your brain. And so, no, you know, so like it's interesting that you say, okay, cool. Once I realize that I can no longer stop. And so it's almost, you know, you, you can't preempt these things. You can't say, I mean, I guess in my case, and I don't know about you, and maybe this will be an interesting question. So in my case, I come from a family of like, I would say alcoholics, right? Where my grand, my maternal grandfather was an alcoholic. Um, my mom's siblings have alcohol yeah. abuse problems. My cousins, I think I have an alcohol abuse problem. So, you know, since I felt pregnant and stopped drinking, I can definitely see the change in my mental health, seeing it, you know, now that I'm not drinking anymore. Um, and that's yeah. a huge contributing factor. Yeah. But like, are there things that make you more predisposed, more at risk, um, that you could almost preempt and say, okay, you know, given this context, given this situation, whatever it might be, I am more at risk. Like, do you think they do you think they're markers, or is it just like a lucky packet? You don't know what you're gonna get. You don't know. There certainly um, is an influencing factor from uh, family history, um, but that can go back, apparently, seven generations. So if seven generations ago you had an addict in the family and then there was nothing, you could be the next one. Um, wow. So that, that lucky packet has a long, long expiry date. Um, but that's not the only the only factor right so the 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 theory around addiction is that there's a couple of causes for it one of them is um is the family history um one of them is uh, trauma um another one is which i find quite interesting is like falsely hold, held beliefs about things so if you kind of have like a skewed version of re- like you don't have a handle on reality, right? So you kind of have, or no, let me not assume. Maybe you can explain that one a bit more. Sure. So it's like I should be the boss of this company, um, or I'm always being persecuted, um, or I need something. I'm not good enough. I, I I feel like if I don't take a line of coke, then I am not able to uh, talk to people at parties, or I'm not able to work long hours if I don't do uh, um, non-prescribed Ritalin amounts. Yeah. Um, and then the the fourth factor, and and this I think we ties in nicely here, is uh, mental mental illness. So. In my case, I think I've got all four. <laughs> like I've got a family, I've got a family history um, of, and remember, it doesn't have to be like drugs or. And, and I want to come back to this about it being drugs or not. It doesn't have to be alcohol or drugs or whatever. There's things like food. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's major food issues and like uh, anorexia in in my family, um, as well as alcoholism. 
Um, so that's that's on the family history side. On the the uh, trauma side, there's, there's uh, we've got some of that. Um, on the falsely hold belief side, certainly, um, you know, being a cisgender heteronormative white South African, like there's certain things that I have that hold that are not true and that I blame myself for and that I carry guilt about and that I have certain expectations and things like that and drugs help me manage that. And then finally, and for me it's the biggest one, is the mental health side. So I didn't start drinking early. I didn't start using drugs early. I actually started quite late. Um, But once I'd found drugs, then I used them to manage what eventually was diagnosed as uh, major depressive disorder, bipolar 2, and obsessive compulsive disorder. And I'd done that for like 14 years before I even went to see a psychiatrist for the first time. That's wild. But this is the interesting thing, right, is I guess – going back to what you were saying around when you actually realize it's a problem. So maybe for those 14, um, this is kind of a question, you know, for those 14 years, did you not think you had a problem? <laughs> um, like I'm not so, trying to shade you. No, like I'm, just, I'm just asking like when no, you. No, I know you're not. I'm you know, not when laughing it comes, at myself. <laughs> when it comes I'm to laughing. that, like I'm self-awareness where you say, okay, I can no longer stop, which is, you know, the, the, the line between the addiction versus the non-addiction, you know, what did it, did it, is that the amount of time it took you before you realized I have a problem? Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. And, and, and it is well, but yeah, I, I want to, you know, let me talk a little bit about this and then I want to come back to the, the, the drugs themselves. Um, it took me that long because I was what's called a high-functioning addict, right? So I was able to maintain a job, maintain relationships, um, and so on, until it got to the stage where I wasn't anymore and I was about to lose my job or being asked to leave my job and none of my friends were around and people would cross to the other side of the road. And in fact, the people that really cared about me, and I remember um, a friend of mine, Sarah, who were doing a line in a bathroom at a wedding in like the middle of the day, you know, like an inappropriate place and time. And she yeah. said to me, David, I think you have a drug problem. And it took me from that point, it probably took me a year of denial, 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 because that is the first thing to get through is that denial. Because I didn't want to believe that I couldn't drink and use drugs like normal people. Yeah. And I think that's also something that I had to realize, right, is that, when my when my psychiatrist suggested that perhaps some of my mental health issues are exacerbated by my abuse of alcohol, I was like, no man. <laughs> then I yeah. was real. I was like, no man. <laughs> but I have a job. <laughs> but I I, st- I still have money. But I, you know, and and eventually realizing, oh, but this is how things are deteriorating, you know, and yeah. I think I think it takes a lot of, you know, I think there's a reason they say that, you know, the biggest step towards recovery is, you know, dealing with denial or getting over denial because I think it's such a strong barrier to recovery. Like 
denial, your once you once you once you actually acknowledge, once you have that awareness, it's almost like you can't go back. You can't go back to being ignorant. You can't go back to, yeah. you know, because then when you start, when you when you continue the behavior with the self-awareness, it's like then it's really choice, right? Like then you're really choosing a certain action over another or, you know, or, or at least you're a lot more conscious of the decisions that you're making. It's yeah. no longer, I know no, I have a problem. It's I have a problem, but I'm still weak to it or I still don't have coping mechanisms to it or I just don't know what to do about it. Or, And I think that's, that's one of the, one of the biggest struggles and I don't know how you feel about it, but it's like, you know, people think that once they have self-awareness, all of a sudden their behaviors are just going to change. <laughs> no. No. The basic, the basic text, like the Bible, you know, I don't use a religious term yet, but like the, the book that we use in the fellowships is called the big book. And this book was written in 1936. <laughs> laying out the 12 steps and it talks there about saying self-knowledge is not going to save you <laughs> yeah just because you know you're an alcoholic or whatever it's not going to save you and it's true like you need to get help outside of that so you know i agree with you completely um and, and it's an interesting thing you know you, you're saying to your your therapist no but i've still got a car and i've still got a job and that like i don't drink in the morning or i only drink wine or yeah. I'm not mainlining heroin, so then I'm not an addict. No, it doesn't yeah. matter. And that, uh, that's where I want to. I, I do want to talk about this because it's in a, for me. It's a huge. It was a huge realization. It's that the drugs and the alcohol are not the problem. The drugs and the alcohol were a solution for me. Yeah. That no longer works. Yeah. But I also exhibit that addict behavior in so many other ways, like reading. Right. Sometimes I can read four or five novels in a week. Why am I doing that? It's because I want to get out of my own head. Because I want to escape my reality. Yeah. But this is, I, I wanted to actually pick up on that, and I'm glad you circled back to it, is people think that addiction is just the illegal stuff, right? Or it's the excessive use of things that have been uh, described as bad for you, right? So like alcohol and drugs being the main things. but like yeah. also, there are other things that we can show addictive person, you know, addictive traits. We, whether it's sex or food or work or it, exercise. Uh, exercise, yeah, where yeah. you know where you or reading, you know, in your case, where you know you you use and and maybe I don't know is I don't know how they define addiction in your in your big Bible or big book. You know, is you know, is it just that kind of excessive? And maybe it's not even excessive. Is it the use of something to escape yourself or your reality? Is that that's exactly it? Is that almost that's exactly what addiction it. is? Yeah. I mean, I mean the the like to quote from it. It is an obsession of the mind and an allergy of the body. So, and, and I'm using 1936 words here. So, like, yeah. to, just to kind of contextualize it, but to to make sense for our times, an obsession of the mind. Yeah, I don't want to be in my own mind. Yeah. Um, or I want to stop thinking, or I want to well, I want to do something. I want to. Right. I want to feel numb. Yeah. Um, that's the obsession, and then the the allergy of the body is when I take drugs or drink or whatever it is, I can't stop. Yeah. I keep on going. 
But I think I like this word allergy, right? Because allergies, if you think about it, you know, from our or from my conventional understanding of an allergy, it's it's a it's a negative reaction to something that I'm putting my body through. So even though yeah. even though you're doing this thing, so like whether it's a food allergy or a medication allergy or just the word allergy is when you subject your body to something that isn't and your body has an adverse reaction to it. Yeah. You know, yeah, makes so, sense. you know, it's, um, it's, yo, it's, it's crazy that we, 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 we just normalize so many behaviors because maybe it hasn't been made illegal. Right. Or it hasn't been, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I swear, Absolutely. we almost said, okay, dudes, stop buying that Big Mac or like stop having a Coke every day or stop having a pizza every, do you know what I mean? Like whatever your yeah. is to enable you to like deal with your mind. If we had to like put a law Netflix. on all of that, I think people would realize they, they, they're more addicts than we think they are. Well, I think it's because we're all suffering, right? Yeah, and because we all and and because as you say, we 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 want something external to solve an internal problem. Yeah, and I also do want to be clear about this: like mental illness, these things aside of of how the drugs and the alcohol interact with it and that, like they need to be sorted out. And there's no problem with. I'm not advocating people to go off their meds, right? It's like. <laughs> You need to be, you know, if you're using, if you're under the care of a responsible psychiatrist or doctor and you are, um, you're using them in the right way and that kind of thing. And then to circle all the way back to the beginning. And then then there's this whole other basket of practices, things like meditation and gratitude and mindfulness um, and exercise. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I think that's great. Raised is important, right? Like I think, and this is something you know, I, I kind of enforce in each episode that, you know, these conversations aren't meant to replace the care of an actual medical professional, no. right? So, like, you know, it's really about, you know, bringing these types of conversations to the light. But, you know, if you are struggling with addiction, as an example, to really reach out to your, you know, a trusted responsible professional who is you know trained to to help you deal with that particular problem if if i can come yeah if i can come just jump in here like if you think that you're suffering from addiction you probably are going to be honest with you yeah um but come to a meeting there's a reason that these things are called whatever anonymous. There's cocaine anonymous, there's narcotics anonymous, there's alcoholics anonymous, there's eating disorders anonymous, there's sex and love um, anonymous. Um, but any of these meetings, you can look them up online, um, or I'm sure like you can put my details on the shows. I don't know how you can do this. But like just look them up online and go to a meeting because the people there are not going to judge you. It is completely anonymous and you can just sit there and listen and hear if maybe some of the things that you are going through some of these people are going through and maybe they have a solution that might help you like you don't have to go to a doctor this is not you you can just walk into a meeting or now because of covid you can just drop into a zoom meeting um with your video off and just listen for an hour and hear about what's going on there 
because the primary purpose of every single AACANA group is to help the still struggling addict. That's what we're about. We can only keep what we have by giving it away. And so the most important person is the person that has never been to a meeting and that it's their first time coming to a meeting. So if you think that you've got a problem or you think that you've got a family member who's got a meeting, please. David, thank you so much for your time. Um, I think that, you know, these things need to be spoken about more openly. Yeah. And that people, we need to kind of remove, I don't want to sound cliched, but it's facts also. You know, people, we need to remove the stigma. We need to remove the, you know, what people are going to think of me, what people are going to say about me, that, that judgment, you know, because that's only when we're really, truly able to kind of help ourselves and others. Yeah. Sure, so sure. just a couple, couple more things here while I just um, Go override you. Um Back in the 1950s, when they first started Narcotics Anonymous, people used to wear, like, masks. Um, and they would have a system where the, you would find out where and when the meeting was about 30 minutes before because the, the cops would come and wait outside because they were going after these junkies. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, imagine that bullshit. Okay, that's not what it is like anymore. There's absolutely no surveillance. You're completely safe when you come to a meeting, and especially the Zoom um, and online meetings. Um, it is it's completely safe. And the thing is, a junkie, an addict, an alky, they, they look like you and I. Yeah. It's not some person, it's not the stereotype that you have in your head. If you come into a meeting, you will see a cross-section of people from every walk of life, income level, race, gender, sexual orientation. Addiction doesn't care. Yeah. It is truly the great leveler. Yeah. Thank you for so, saying that, David. Yeah. And I think I think it, it it really enforces that it's not them. It's not they. It's not, it could be me. It could be us, you know? Uh -huh. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining yeah. me. And hopefully and if, we, can, we can continue this conversation on another episode. I would love that if you're keen. Yeah, please. Yay. <laughs> I love that. And I'm just, well done, Therese. Thank you for doing this. I think, as you say, the more people that talk about this, the better. And I'm, I'm really thrilled that you're doing this podcast. Thank you so much. So, yeah, that was David Astronomy. <laughs> David P. Um, thank he you. likes to get high. Excuse me? Because he likes to get high. <laughs> Thanks, David. We'll chat soon, I'm sure. Love you, Cherise. Bye. Thank you for listening to this Spudcaster podcast. Don't forget to like, share and subscribe. Not sure about you, but I am truly inspired after that conversation with David. I think, you know, normalizing things like mental health is definitely an objective of this podcast. And I think, you know, when we talk about addiction, we often villainize, you know, the addict. I know I, I certainly know I'm guilty of that. Um, I'm definitely guilty of making it seem as though people, addicts, are choosing to be addicts and that they're not, you know, as as 
as challenged as I am by, you know, the the mental wellness struggles I have or the mental health struggles I have. So hopefully we'll be able to be kinder to, um, you know, the, the people in our lives who, who struggle with addiction. We can show a bit more compassion, a bit more empathy. Um, if you or someone you know is struggling with addiction, please, you know, try check out a um, AANACASLA, you know, any kind of anonymous meetings where, you know, you can maybe feel like you're amongst people who understand. So until our next episode, darlings, take care and keep keep being who you are. Shine bright like a diamond. (laughs) Cheers. Love to all. One love. You've been listening to Quintessentially Mental, the podcast hosted by Sure Eyes. Join us next week as we continue the conversation about mental health. And remember, we are always perfectly ourselves.